0: we we live in a consumer culture that is driven by this thirst that is driven by this longing that is driven by this this wanting in fact if you if you look around you if you survey the landscape of the culture you see that people are consuming at a rapid pace, relationships, and pleasure, and food, and drink, and Netflix, and video games, and entertainment, and sports, and ministry, and clothing, and accomplishments, and things, and stuff, as fast as we can. And we look around, you see that we are, we are driven as a people by this thirst, and by this wanting, by this longing, by, by this desire. And we can never get enough. I mean, I see it in my kids. I got four kids. Their names are Raleigh, Camden, Durham, and Bolton. They're all named after cities in North Carolina. And we started with Raleigh and just kept the trend. And when they turn five, we take them to their city where they can read their name up on the sign, you know, and and they actually think it's their city. And it just feeds their narcissism, which we'll deal with later on. But with my kids, when we're driving down the road, we're a Chick-fil-A family. Christian Chicken. We are a Chick-fil-A family. But when we drive by McDonald's, my kids want to go to the dark side. They want to stop at McDonald's. It's not because of the playground. The reason they want to stop at the McDonald's is because of this thing called the Happy Meal. And, 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 and you guys are familiar with the Happy Meal. I mean, you know, I was going to bring one in, but then I realized I can't bring food in this room. But um, it's got a little cheeseburger and, you know, some fries or some, they have apples now, apple slices now. You get milk or a soft drink. And, and then it comes with, it comes with a, a little, little prize, a little trinket in, in a bag, a little prize in a bag. And all that stuff's into this box. And my kids want a Happy Meal. I mean, in fact, sometimes they'll start to chant, we want a Happy Meal, we want a Happy Meal. It's like little native kids, like just chanting out, just try this tribal chant. And I resist their tribal chant because I know. I know the truth about the Happy Meal. I know that what my kids want is not food. What they want, what's driven, is is a belief. They believe that when they get this Happy Meal, that then they will be happy. They think if they can just get this Happy Meal, then they'll be satisfied. And they're, they're buying not the food, they're buying an idea. But but see, I know, I know the truth. Behind, I know that in 1979, the marketing geniuses of McDonald's had this idea. Let's put it together and let's call it a happy meal. And I know that the happiness, the problem with the happy meal is that the happiness fades. That Like a minute and a half later, the happiness is over. But my kids still think, and I mean, you'd think one day a kid would figure it out. A kid would stand up and they go, hey, this is, this is all, this is like, this is not for real. This is not fake. This, I mean, this is fake. These, these things do not make us happy. Some kid would start a revolution against McDonald's and against the Happy Meal and ask for their money back because it did not make them happy. But kids don't do that. They still think that happiness comes from a Happy Meal. Does anybody know what this is? Anybody know what this is? It's not a thermos, but good try. It's a Yeti cup. Now, a Yeti cup, my friend told me, he said, if you get a Yeti cup, it'll change your life. It's like a Yeti cup is this special insulated mug that will keep your coffee hot all day. I usually like to drink my coffee by the end of the day, but, some, but I'm thinking, hey, that sounds like a good. Idea. He said, and it'll keep your cold drinks cold all day. It's like, man, you need a Yeti cup. And I convinced myself, you know what? I need a Yeti cup. It's a $30 cup. It's like, I'm not paying $30 for a mug. So I started dropping hints to my wife. <laughs> she didn't buy me one either. And so I'm like, I, I, I want to get a Yeti cup because if I get that, then it's going to change. Then my, my life will actually be changed. And I believe my friend and I'm going after it. For six months, I looked for a Yeti cup. It was the hardest to get. New York Times said it was the hardest to get Christmas gift this year, 2000, or last year, 2015. You know what this is? It's a happy meal for adults. See, I thought, when I get this, it will change my life. Can I just be real? It hasn't changed my life. It's a great cup. Like, it keeps my coffee hot in 19-degree temperature. I mean, it is. It's working for me, but it hasn't changed my life. See, when you get older, we don't necessarily get smarter. <laughs> our Happy Meals just get more expensive. And so the question for you is, what's your Happy Meal? What's your Happy Meal right now that you're thinking, you know what, if I just get that, if I get that next thing, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be fulfilled. Maybe it's technology, or maybe it's in relationships, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's an outfit, or maybe it's some shoes, or maybe, maybe it's, a, it's sporting gear. Maybe it's it's a new movie that you want to go see. When when, When I get that, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't the last one work? Why didn't the last one fulfill you? And why are we so needy? Why do we want so much? Thomas Aquinas said, I'll give you a quote. He said the neediness of our soul is a pointer to God. The neediness of our soul is a pointer to God. Here's what that means. Your infinite capacity to want and to desire and to chase after things and and, and to long to be satisfied is a pointer to the fact that God has an infinite capacity to give to you. God is infinite in his capacity of what he wants to give from himself. He goes on to say, The unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. See, the reason that you long, the reason that you desire, that you want, is because God, only God can fulfill. It's like Psalm 84, where the psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalmist is saying only God can satisfy. Ecclesiastes 3, I think it's verse 11. He says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. What that means is that your soul was made for God. Only he can satisfy the longings of your heart. Temporary things can never satisfy eternal longings. They can't. It's like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with a medicine dropper. It can never be fulfilled with temporary things. But man, we try. We try. We try. We try to find fulfillment in our lives even though we say we love God and even though we, we we say we're followers of Jesus we can still get wrapped up in trying to find fulfillment to the desires of our heart and things and we can chase after and go after work and pleasure and technology and relationships and sex and power and success and ministry and sports and cars and entertainment and accomplishments and recognition and fame thinking when I get that then I'll be satisfied. Then my longings will be fulfilled. Then what I want will be satisfied. And listen, the list That I went through, they're not not bad things. In fact, they are good things. They're just not ultimate things. And when you take a good thing in this world and you make it an ultimate thing in your life, then it becomes a destructive thing. Then it leads to the disappointment of your heart. And most of us have faced disappointment in our life because we've tried to find fulfillment. We've made a temporary thing. We've made maybe even a good thing, an ultimate thing always leads to disappointment in our heart disappointment we read about it in jeremiah chapter 2 jeremiah chapter 2 i was talking about this today with a friend of mine tyler oh and if you got a worship, if you got a bible you can turn with me to jeremiah chapter 2 we're going to pick up in verse 9 i think we may have it for the screens we'll put it up there as well but this passage is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to them about what is central to their hearts. He's speaking to the nation of Israel who he has a covenant relationship with. They're in relationship with him. They already know he is their God. They claim him. And God's talking to these people about what is at the core of their life, what they're chasing after, what they're going after. A thirsty people God's speaking to. He picks up in, in verse 9. A people that he's called to love them with all their heart, soul, soul. Mind and strength. In verse 9, he says, therefore, I bring charges against you, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. It's serious. He's saying what's going on in your life is not just affecting you. It's affecting the next generation. Do you realize that the decisions that you're making right now in your life don't just affect you? They affect your children and they affect your children's children. Your future grandchildren are impacted by the decisions that you're making today. Whether the decisions you're making for God to chase after him, or whether the decisions you're making for self, or whether you're making decisions you're making in rejection of God, your decisions don't just affect you, but they affect future generations. And so Jeremiah is getting their attention. He's saying, this is, this is generational. This, is, this has generational consequences here. Here's the offense. Cross over to the coasts of Kittim and look and send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Look at what's happened here. The nation of Israel has exchanged their one true God for these, for these worthless idols. There's been this trade. There's been this exchange. The one true God, they've 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 exchanged out for worthless idols. And a lot of times we read over that verse because we're like, well, hey, that's I'm, I get a pass because I don't have any idols. Like you go to my house and you look up on the mantle. There's not like a little wooden idol hanging out up there. I don't have an idol. That I keep in the glove box in the car, and you know, whenever I need good luck, I just get in there and just. I don't. I don't. I don't have any. Any idols hang around. Don't have any pictures of any idols in my pocket that I just sit down and have a little meditation session too. I don't I don't have other other idols. I don't have other little wooden figures that I worship. So we read over that and we're like, well, I get a pass on that God because I don't have any idols in my life. Listen, it's not that we don't have idols, it's just that we're much more sophisticated with ours. Although we may not have external idols going on in our life, we have internal idols that compete. For God's glory. There's a powerful little book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods and clues us in this reality that an idol is anything in our lives that matters more than God. In the book he he writes, An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. If anything becomes more fundamental to God to your, than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. Look at, look at verse 12. He says, "Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring or source of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold. Water. So here's the picture Jeremiah has said. My, my people, the nation of Israel, what they've done is they've forsaken the living water. They've forsaken the spring. They've forsaken me. And they've dug these broken cisterns that hold no water. Now, if you understand the ancient world and the desert culture, what you know is that that life comes from water. That your your life source comes from from a water source you have. And hopefully, you'd have a, a spring. And if you didn't have a spring, hopefully, you had a well. And if you didn't have a well, then then you would have a, a cistern. And a cistern would be a, a rock hewn hole in the ground that would be dug out, and so that the 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 rains when they came during the rainy season could flow into that into that cistern and be collected there. And a cistern would be muddy water. It would be. It would be stagnant water. It would be water that had collected from the other season and it had been there for a while. But you would live off of that water in a cistern. And what Jeremiah says is that it's God's people that that we've neglected, that we've forsaken, that we've turned our back on the stream of living water, that we've turned our back on him as our source of life, and that we've dug these broken cisterns that hold no water. Not just cisterns, but broken cisterns. And so the picture is that we have a shovel in our hand and that we're going around I and mean, we're trying to we're trying to constantly dig out things and we're digging into things and we're digging. If I if I wear this, will I, will I matter to you? And if if I if I talk like this, will, will you like me? And if if I if I get this stuff, will, will that if I have your approval, will I be satisfied? If I get a couple more likes on my Instagram, am I going to be okay? And if if so many f- people follow me on Twitter, well then will I be fine? And you know if I get my Facebook friends up there, then I'll be satisfied. And we're constantly we're digging and we're looking and we're trying to find fulfillment and our satisfaction from the things in this world and what ends up happening is that we end up leaving a trail of holes that we've dug in the ground that leave us empty and unfulfilled and you're going to graduate from Iwo. that's a prophetic word I'm just giving it to you right hopefully one day you will graduate and you will move on from here but if you don't pursue God as your primary source, you will leave this place and you will leave a trail of broken cisterns. And you'll graduate and you'll get a job and you'll make more money. But when we don't make God our primary source every single day and we get a job where we might make more money, It's not that we leave the shovel behind. We just have more money. We can buy a bobcat or a backhoe. We can just dig into more expensive things that leave us unfulfilled, that leave us unsatisfied. And I'm not asking if you have broken cisterns. That's not the question. I'm asking, what are they? What are your broken cisterns? What are you digging into trying to find fulfillment what matters, what, are, what matters in your life more than God? This is real talk. Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a residency or an internship? Is it a promotion? Is it grades? Is it achievement? Is it sex? Is it status? Is it the approval of other people? Man, if they just like me. Is it having somebody affirm you or notice you? Maybe it's your physical appearance. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's accomplishments. Maybe it's technology. I have the next. Anything that has become more important in our lives than God. Broken cistern. And broken cisterns break us. They leave us worn out and broken and empty. And that's why, that's why in the scriptures, it says, above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. I want you to take your hand and put it over your heart. God's giving you a heart. He's given you a heart, and he said, I've given you this, and I want you to love me with all of it. And your heart, it's, it means a lot to me. Take care of it. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. It's been said that the human heart is an idol factory. Now put your hands like this. That we constantly think that if I get that in my hands, or if I grasp that, or if I have that, then, then I'll be satisfied. The heart is an idol factory. You can now do whatever you want with my, you're like, what do I do with my hands? Uh, Just, you can just, you just put them where. But it's easy to give our hearts to things that rival God. And if you want, some of you are still having trouble figuring out what that thing is. And if you want to know what a broken cistern is. If you want to know, I want you to look and see what's on the throne of your life, because we all have a throne of our life. We all have something that's that's the throne of our life. And leading up to the throne in our life is this trail. We all have this trail of our time and of our attention, of our energy, of our efforts, of what we put spend our time thinking about, of what we what we think about when, when we have some downtime, when we have time to just think and dream and what we talk about in our conversations. We all you can look at your calendar, you can look at your credit card statement. You'll see that you have this trail leading up to this throne. And right 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 now, there is something on the throne of your life. There is something that is most essential. There is something that's getting the most of your heart. You have something on the throne. What is it? I mean, maybe for somebody, it's a basketball. And like, man, March Madness would just get... I mean, right now, basketball is on the throne. Maybe maybe for somebody else, it's a relationship and Billy Bob is on the throne. Or Sally Joe. If your significant other is named Billy Bob or Sally Joe, that's another conversation we need to have, but <laughs> but listen, Billy Bob might make a great boyfriend or Bay. <laughs> Billy Bob might make a great boyfriend, but he makes a lousy guy. And when we take a human and put them on the throne of our heart, we set ourselves up for disappointment. It is a broken cistern. It can't satisfy because our hearts have been made for God. Only He can satisfy. I want us to look at a passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10. And it's a story... Probably familiar with, probably heard it before. It's the story of a young man who, who, scholars, who scholars have put about your age. Heard the story of the, the rich, young, rich young ruler and he's standing there as Jesus is walking through Galilee. I want to read to you the passage. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. He said, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Many times this, this story about the rich young ruler, we hold to about, about wealth. And we think, you know what? It's about his money. But this isn't a story about his money. Jesus wasn't after his money. Jesus, if Jesus was after his money, he said, go sell everything you have and bring all the money to me. Jesus wasn't after his money. What was he after? It's after his heart. You know, what does Jesus want most from you? He wants your heart. He wants all of it. He's not satisfied with a part. He wants all of your heart. And, and he tells him, it wasn't about his bank account. It was about a broken cistern. Listen, when Jesus, when Jesus saves your life, when he brings salvation, he doesn't just save you from hell. He saves you from the hell of broken cisterns. He wants to save you from the things that are slowly killing and eroding the flourishing life that he longs to give you. He wants to save you from that disappointment of trying to find your fulfillment from something that can never satisfy your heart. And he says, come to me. Come to me and drink. I'll give you living water where you'll never thirst again. I'll take care of that in your heart. I am what you've been longing for. I'm what you've been looking for. And listen, when you've tasted it, when you've known it, what Jesus says to this man is not irrational. It's irresistible. Because you realize that Jesus is speaking truth. He is worth everything. He is worth everything I have, that he is primary, that he is central, that he is essential to my life. And I want my life to be known as a life that digs into him, that forsakes everything else to go and pursue after him and chase after him. The only satisfaction I have in my life, the only thing that truly fulfills is him. And once you've tasted it and once you've known it, you know it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. He is what you're looking for. He is what you're longing for. Some of you are wondering, how do I get this cup? Well, I, I've been looking for one for six months. One night I came home and I was standing in the kitchen and my eight-year-old Durham fixing dinner. I look over and he's got a Yeti cup in his hand. And he's drinking water out of a Yeti cup. I said, boy, where'd you get that cup? I looked at Rhea, I was like, where, where did we get these cu- this cup? Marie is my wife. And she said, oh, we've had that cup. I said, we've had this cup? I've been looking for a Yeti cup for six months. We've had this cup. How long have we had this cup? She said, about six months. <laughs> I said, how did we get this cup? She said, well, you went and spoke somewhere, and they gave you like a little gift bag, a little swag bag, and and you just put it on the counter. And I just put it on the counter because the kids pillage it anyway, and so I just put it on the counter. And she said, there was a Yeti cup in that bag. (laughs) She said, so we took it, and we put it with the kids' cups. Listen, what I had been looking for was in the house all along. Did you hear that? It was with the kids' cups. Which means I would have had to get down on my knees to get it. What you've been looking for all along is in the house. You just have to get down on your knees to find it. Jesus is the only one who can truly fulfill. He's the only one who can satisfy. That's the promise that he gives. You've been digging broken cisterns, now come to living water. That's Jesus' invitation. We'll look at another passage, just because the Bible's fun. John chapter seven. John chapter seven is what we'll look at, and this is a great story. It's about a year before the conversation with the rich young ruler, and it's during the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles, people all come back to Jerusalem and they would all converge on the city and they would build these little tents. They would build these little, these little shacks, these little, these little tent things that they'd live in to remind them, remind them of the, of the truth that, that God was with them on the journey into the promised land. And they would build these little, these little tents and they would build these little shacks and they'd all converge on the city. And then there was this, at the final, at the end of that feast, they would all gather there at the temple courts. And at the temple, there was, this, there was this pool of Siloam right next to it. And then there was this place where the priests, the priests would all go down together. And one of the priests would take this golden pitcher and he would dip the pitcher into the pool of Siloam. And then he would walk up back to the temple and they would all proceed. And the people would cry out. They cried, Hosanna save us. And really it was, it was a prayer for rain through the next dry season that God would give them rain for the next year's harvest. They were praying for water from heaven. And the priest has this, has this, this pitcher full of water and he's walking back ready to pour it out as an offering before God as a prayer for rain. And the people are crying out, Hosanna, Hoshanah, which means save us. They're saying, God, would you save us? Would you give us rain? And, and look with me in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. At the, at the time when the priest is pouring out the pitcher, at this time, the, the greatest moment of the feast, the culmination of the feast, Jesus stands up and he hijacks the festival. He stands up before everybody and he says in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water flow from within him. Jesus said, if you want water that really satisfies, come to me. And the invitation Jesus made 2,000 years ago, he makes to you tonight. He says, if you want to be really satisfied, if you want to be fulfilled in your heart, if you want to know life, then come to me and drink, and I will give you living water, and not just water enough from you. I'll make it gush from inside of you, that then you will bring sustenance and fulfillment, and you will give that to others. It's too much for you to keep to yourself. But that you'll have something to share with others. I'll give you streams of living water. Jesus said, "Just come to me. Just come to me." Hmm. So bring your shovel and come to him. See, I figured out the whole way you you correct this is you you flip it around you forsake the broken cisterns see you stop digging broken cisterns that hold no water and stop forsaking God and you you forsake the broken cisterns and you dig into God And you take that shovel of a life and you dig into him and you chase after him and you pursue him and you go after him and you focus on the awareness of his presence and you look for what God's doing and you remind yourself of his truth. And you chase after him and you go after him and you fight hard to pursue the heart of God. And you find fulfillment. But it requires that we tear down the idols in our heart and make him ultimate and make him primary. And it's something that we need to do daily. About two years ago, my wife was teaching me how to use Instagram. I didn't—I didn't know how to use it. We were laying there in bed. When I, some of you are thinking that's what you do when you're married and in bed, is you. All right, so we were, um, <laughs> and so we're laying there. I like, show me how to do this. And so she's got her phone up. I've got my phone up, and she's telling, shes showing me how to follow people from church, you know, and I'm. You know, and I'm, I'm a pastor, so I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll follow some people from church, and, you know, maybe, you know. And so I'm, like, following some people, and I've got <clears throat> this little Instagram feed going on, and she's showing me what I need to do. And she's saying, you know, if you, if you like, press on the picture twice, you know, it likes it, and it has a little heart, you know, go up. And then if you want to write something, you write, and I was, like, writing some comments, you know, LOL, you know, JK. And I'm, like, writing these little emojis, and I'm just having fun, and I'm just laying there. I'm just going through pictures. I was just talking with her, and we're looking at my phone, and she's showing me. And I don't know what happened But there was this picture that I accidentally liked And the picture that I accidentally liked My wife's right there But the picture that I accidentally liked Was a picture of a lady from the church In a bathing suit Here's what happened Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh I I liked it I don't like it. I don't like it. My wife's like, what? What? I, go, I accidentally liked it. And she's like, well, unlike it. And I unliked it, but then I'm like, oh my gosh, what if it send them like notifications? What if it let her know that I liked a picture of her in her bath? I'm fired. I'm fired from my job. I'm, I'm deleting the Instagram account. I'm done with Instagram. I'm not doing Instagram ever again. I didn't like it. I didn't mean to like it. I didn't, but did it tell her that I liked it? Because if she thinks that I liked her in a bathing suit, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. And I'm freaking out in bed. I'm like, I gotta call her. I gotta confess. I gotta I gotta. Tweet it out there. I got to confess to the world. Let them know I do not like a woman in her bathing suit that's not my wife. I'm melting down. I'm just like, I, I couldn't even sleep that night. I mean, this is like the worst thing. And I, I, I woke up that next, that next morning. And I was still just messed up. And I, I, I have a back porch where I spend porch time with, with God and I sat there on the back porch and I said Lord I just I need you to speak into this because I'm just a little bit messed up right now and it was as if God just spoke in and said Kevin it's okay it was an accident let it go okay but Kevin I, I want to talk to you about something else I want to talk to you about the things that you've been liking that you shouldn't be liking. Maybe jokes that you're laughing at. TV shows you've been watching. Conversations you've been having. Kevin, let's talk about the things that you're liking that you shouldn't be liking. And so we went through and just confessed that before him. Just sweet time of forgiveness. I thought we were done. He said, Kevin, I want to talk with you about the things in your life that you're loving that you should be liking. These idols of the heart. I'd confess that working out had just taken up too much real estate in my heart. And there was a relationship and there was some stuff in ministry and I was trying to find my identity in. And it's just a sweet time of confession before him. Confessing those broken cisterns. And then and he's said, Kevin, I want to talk to you about, about what you've been liking. That you should be loving. The truth was, I had been liking God. I hadn't been loving him. And in his kindness, uh, that living water, through that confession, that living water flowed into my soul, and I found what I really desired, and the relationship was restored, and that's what he offers you tonight. Gypsy Smith was an old British evangelist. Somebody came to him one time and they said, how, after one of the meetings, how do we have revival? Because we want revival. And I've heard conversation of revival here. So how do we have revival? And Gypsy Smith reached in his pocket and he pulled out a piece of chalk and he gave him a piece of chalk. He said, here, take this what do I do with this? How does this bring revival? He said, I want you to go back to your house and I want you to get alone in a room and I want you to shut the door and I want you to kneel down on the floor and I want you to take that piece of chalk and I want you to draw a circle around you. And I want you to stay in that circle until revival comes. And then you'll have revival. Revival. 26 year old Evan Roberts in Wales, 1904. It's your age. Not too much older than you. Knelt down on the ground and he prayed the prayer. He said, Oh God, bend me, bend me. And whatever you want to do with my life, God, would you do it? And God took that young man and he was instrumental in leading a revival in Wales. It led to 100,000 conversions in six weeks. One of the greatest revivals that the world has ever known. But the eyes of the Lord searched to and fro throughout the world, looking for one, looking for someone who would be fully committed to him, whose heart would be fully consecrated to him, whose heart would be fully given to him. And if your heart is not consecrated to him, if your heart is not given to him, And he might bring revival, but it won't be through you. It it, it won't be with you. It will be around you. And God's looking for the person who would say, God, would you you reorder my life? God, I want to forsake the broken sisters, and I want to dig into you. I want to chase after you. I want to renounce it. I want to repent from the idolatry of my life that, God, there are things of this world, temporary things that have mattered more than you. And tonight, for some of you, maybe for all of us, There are things that the Holy Spirit in his kindness would put his finger on and say, this is a broken cistern. This matters more than me. Forsake it. Come after me. Pursue after me. Chase after me. I've got living water for you. And so we're going to have a response time. Just a moment, we'll open up the altar. And you know what an altar is. It's the place where where things come and die. It's a place where we put to death the things that we've been putting before God. We forsake them and we pursue him. And up here on the platform are pieces of chalk. And for some of you, the response would be to take one of these pieces of chalk and put it in your pocket and take it home with you. And not leave that circle until heaven touches your heart. Until things are right with God. And while you might put that in your pocket as a reminder that revival starts here. I believe tonight that God wants to do something corporately. As we forsake the broken things and in repentance come before him and lay those things before him and say, God... I turn from these things and I'm turning to you, Jesus. I need you. I desperately need you and I want you. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I have forsaken you. That I have turned my back on you. That I've made other things matter more. And in his graciousness and in his kindness, his invitation to you tonight has come to me. I'll give you living water. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, it's obvious that you are moving in our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. God, you know those, those things in our lives that we are liking that we shouldn't be liking. Places where we have become friends and even good friends with the things of this world. Places where we've invited things into our lives and invited things into our heart and we've become comfortable things, God, with things that you were never comfortable with. Maybe things that we used to not be comfortable with, but slowly over time our hearts have grown callous. God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? And then there there are things that we are loving, God, that that we should be liking. We've gotten confused. And tonight, God, would this be a place, would this be a time where we lay those things down? Maybe for some it's to abstain and to fast. Maybe for some it's to to leave those things for a season. Maybe, Maybe for some it's just to leave them up here at the altar and lay them down before you. God, most importantly, we want to prize you, we want to pursue you, we want to dig into you, we want to make you the object of our affection, because one day our hearts will stop beating and one day we will stand before you, we will give an account for our lives. And may, be, may what's most central in eternity, may what's most, most central in eternity be what's most central in our hearts right here and now. Would the kingdom of heaven come down here, God, would your value system be our value system? Would we repent? Would we return? Would we find living water? Would you flood? Would you flow in our lives? We're thirsty people. Meet with us here. And so as the band plays, continue in a spirit of prayer. Maybe for some it's to, it's to sit in prayer. Maybe for many it's to make this your altar where you do business with God. but for all. He's saying, you can have me. You can have as much of me as you want, if you want me. Let's want Him. So Father, would you have your way? We surrender.
1: I don't know what the rest of your life is going to be like, but these couple days, May the most be the most important days you've ever had up to now. For some of us, we'll make decisions bigger this day and the next day than we'll maybe ever have to make again. You know that verse in Jeremiah twenty nine that says, "I know the plans I have for you, good and not for evil, to prosper you and to bring you hope and life and all that kind of stuff." Everybody loves that verse, but what we sometimes misses the verse a couple verses later, where it says, "You will seek me." and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I don't know what you have planned for the rest of this day, but I'm wondering if a piece of chalk should have something to do with it. Either here or back in your room to find some place on your knees in a chalk circle saying, God, I'm here until you do something in me that I'm desperate for. Fill my life with your water. We may not be done for all of us here tonight. Some of us may want to linger and just pray. That's okay. We'll do that as long as we need to. But let me pray for you. And then we'll let God keep working in our lives. Father, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Do for us something more than just emotion and a spiritual high. Do for us something that drives deep into our soul and cleanses us and fills us and changes us. Thank you for the reminder tonight about some of those things that have become idols to us that we chase and pursue, thinking if only, if only, if only. And you say, would you seek me with all your heart? Then, when your heart is centered on me, all the other stuff starts to get ordered around it. Thanks for this word from you through your servant, Lord. May we have ears to hear, hearts to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Terry, if you want, don't forget tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we'll be back here. God bless you. Go in His peace.